In describing her experience of Christmas mornings in her book, Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World, Kristen Welch tells this story. Every year, Christmas got bigger and bigger in our house. We put up the biggest tree we could find in front of the bay window with a thousand white lights adorning it that could be seen from the street. I spent a lot of time and money decorating nearly every room. I'll never forget the Christmas morning when my kids were six and four years old, and there were piles of presents under the tree, dozens for each of them. I didn't feel it was excessive because I was an organized deal shopper and had gotten most of the toys on sale months before. I was as excited as my kids. I couldn't wait to see their faces as they opened each gift with delight. But it didn't really happen that way. It was a blur of grabbing and tearing into gifts, and within minutes the room looked like a tornado had ripped through it. I watched my kids go from one gift to another, hardly taking the time to even remove all the paper. With piles of open gifts and still more to go, they actually seemed tired with the exertion of opening so many. We took a break and cleaned up for a bit before we started round two. There were some gasps of delight here and there, but with a room full of stuff, I don't think I've ever felt emptier. I suspect that there are many out there who can relate to Welch's experience of spending more money, getting more stuff, and feeling even less fulfilled. Every year, Christmas becomes bigger and bigger and more and more expensive. The average American is projected to spend over $1,000 on Christmas gifts, decorations, and parties this Christmas season. Worldwide Christmas retail is projected to surpass $1 trillion. And perhaps most troubling, 22% of Americans say that Christmas spending is going to leave them in debt. And for all the spending, do we uh, feel fulfilled and overjoyed throughout and at the conclusion of the Christmas season? Nope. In fact, 25% of Americans suffer from low-grade to full-blown depression after the holidays are over. Among the sources of holiday sadness, medical professionals have identified stress, fatigue, unrealistic expectations, over-commercialization, and financial stress. You'll notice that most of these things have to do with the materialism, which has become so rampant in our society because the accumulation of things and wealth can never lead to fulfillment. But we go into the season of gift giving and gift receiving with such high expectations for the things that we receive, the care with which those things were selected by our friends and family, and the reactions of others to the gifts that we give. We often put so much importance on the practice of gift giving that we can't help but be stressed out by the process of giving and receiving. Gift-giving should be a joyous affair with no strings attached. However, it's often approached, however much we may deny it, as a quid pro quo arrangement where we get others gifts and expect gifts in return. My extended family used to do a gift exchange where each individual drew the name of another individual and bought them a gift somewhere in the range of $20. Usually the other person would tell you exactly what they wanted and you would just go and get it for them. One year, my cousin and I just agreed to skip the pretense and just exchanged $20 Amazon gift cards, which is pretty ridiculous if you think about it. Several of us finally advocated for doing away with the gift exchange altogether, and that made others in the family a little bit unhappy. 
But I was personally relieved when it finally became a thing of the past. Now, I'm not against giving gifts. I'm not a Scrooge. And we'll talk more next week about the importance of giving the right types of gifts. But what I am against is the practice of tit-for-tat giving in such a way that the amount spent supposedly demonstrates the level of affection that the giver has for the recipient. I've been fascinated to realize that TV writers seem to understand the farcical nature of this quote-unquote gift-giving. On the show The Office, the boss, Michael Scott, says, Presents are the best way to show how much you care. It's like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, Hey man, I love you this many dollars worth. I had a member of my extended family who made a similar argument. How can I express my love without spending money on presents? On the sitcom The Big Bang Theory, after his neighbor told him that she had gotten him a Christmas present, the eccentric Sheldon Cooper responded, Wait, you got me a present? Why would you do such a thing? I know you think you're being generous, but the foundation of gift-giving is reciprocity. You haven't given me a gift, you've given me an obligation. The essence of the custom is that I now have to go out and purchase for you a gift of commensurate value and representing the same perceived level of friendship as that represented by the gift you've given me. Say what you want about the legitimacy of Sheldon's perspective on gift-giving. I think he perfectly expresses the stress of gift-giving which lurks beneath the surface for so many around the holiday season. But beyond the personal stress of gift-giving and gift-receiving, the tragedy of overspending, getting more stuff, helping the rich and multinational corporations get richer, leads to economic injustice. This means that there are those who are hard-pressed to survive, or indeed can't survive, because they don't have access to the things needed to sustain life. And the most deplorable part of economic injustice is the fact that followers of Christ fail to act on behalf of others because of their own preoccupation with wealth. In the portion of the Sermon on the Mount that we read this morning, Jesus warns his followers, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, the word translated money here is the Greek word mammon, and mammon literally means the treasure in which a person trusts. Now, Jesus personified mammon and set it in opposition to God. We can trust in and pursue God, or we can trust in and pursue wealth, but we cannot do both. The pursuit of wealth causes us to fail, or at least to hesitate, to take actions which will provide for the least of these if those things come at personal material cost. It's not for nothing that the Apostle Paul warned his protege Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Paul understood Christ's teachings that the pursuit of wealth would prevent people from following God. However, as the authors of the Advent Conspiracy describe it, our economy and our society have accepted radical greed as the norm, and each of us somehow justifies the suffering of others that our lifestyle causes. That's the mentality of the consumer culture by which we're bombarded every day, and especially during the holiday season. 
In his classic book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster points out that we're made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or drive cars until they wear out. In the film Fight Club, which I'm in no way recommending from the pulpit, by the way, but in that film, one of the main characters says, advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need. A similar popular quote, which financial guru Dave Ramsey likes to use is, we buy stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. In addition to this anxiety caused by the consumer mentality, so much of what we run to buy because it's a good deal or it's on sale is a product built on the backs of those who are being oppressed and exploited. Yet many people don't want to hear inquiries about systemic economic injustice because such inquiries could call into question our beloved system of capitalism and in turn the morality of the American dream. New Testament scholar Miguel de la Torre wrote, to raise concerns about the ever-growing gap within the United States is to risk being accused of fomenting social unrest or worse, being labeled a socialist. Similarly, Dom Helder Camara, a Brazilian Catholic archbishop, famously quipped, when I give food to the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why the poor have no food, they call me a communist. Now, I'm not calling for full-blown government-enforced socialism because the responsibility lies within each of us to live according to the teachings of Christ within the societies that we find ourselves. As the authors of the Advent Conspiracy write, it is possible to spend compassionately and responsibly regardless of our economic system. When capitalism unwittingly marries unbridled Western individualism, however, catastrophe results. When we give gifts without regard for the least of these, it reflects a brand of capitalism gone wrong. And with this, we all lose. Speaking of capitalism, when the concept of spending less comes up, one of the inevitable arguments is that it's unpatriotic and bad for the economy for us to spend less. Of course, we shouldn't ask how beneficial and patriotic it is for more than 20% of Americans to be plunged into debt or deeper into debt each Christmas. The idea that we should max out our credit cards, which currently have an average APR around 18%, in the name of patriotism is absurd. Even more absurd is the idea that we should go into consumer debt in the name of celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's not put the blame on him for this, please. But we're not advocating some sort of isolationism in which we don't give any gifts and completely keep our dollars out of the economy. Spending less doesn't mean spending nothing. And sometimes the principles of spending less can actually mean spending more. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that sometimes by shifting our spending from multi-billion dollar corporations into nonprofits or small businesses which seek to do good for others, we may end up spending more, but we're also doing more good and causing fewer problems in the world. For example, I didn't need these bracelets and my wife has a matching orange one. We, we didn't need these, but we bought them because they're made by refugees 
and the profits from them goes to support refugees with the Ethimonia organization. In fact, these bracelets are actually partially made from life vests, which refugees wore crossing the sea uh, while they sought refuge in different countries. I didn't need a t-shirt that says, love across enemy lines. If I wanted a t-shirt, I could have just gone to the mall, right? But I bought that one because the proceeds support the pre Preemptive Love Organization, which does great work in war-torn areas of the Middle East. My family didn't need to buy these Love Thy Neighbor and Be Kind face masks. Now, we needed face masks for the pandemic, but we could have just bought generic ones at Walmart for a heck of a lot cheaper, right? But we bought those ones because they support the Happy Givers organization and their work in Puerto Rico and Mexico and Peru. From a fiscal perspective, it probably would have made more sense to either do without these things or at least buy cheaper versions of them from huge multinational corporations, right? But from a human perspective, the expenditures are more beneficial and less costly than buying from places that mistreat workers, oppress producers, and harm the environment. Jeff Bezos and the Walton family don't need my money this holiday season. But there are many small businesses and nonprofits and intentionally low-profit corporations that would benefit and help others benefit from our spending. So spend less unless you should spend more. In the passage we read this morning, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not consume, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The way that we as the church, all of us who are followers of Christ, spend our money is an indicator of where our treasure is. Acts 3 tells the story of Peter and John encountering a lame man begging outside the temple. And Peter tells the man, I don't have any gold or silver, but here's what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. As soon as the words left Peter's mouth, the man was miraculously healed. Over a millennium later, Pope Innocent III was giving Dominic a tour of the Vatican's wealth and treasures. And the Pope bragged, no longer can St. Peter say, I don't have any gold or silver. Dominic replied pointedly, no, and neither can he any longer say, rise and walk. Dominic's point was clear and simple. The church's focus on wealth and materialism had distracted the church from its mission and robbed it both of its spiritual power and its spiritual authority. St. Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, said something similar, arguing that the church has gold not to store up, but to lay out and spend on those in need. For would not the Lord himself say, why didst thou suffer so many to die of hunger? Why did you hoard all of that wealth and let so many die because they didn't have the basic necessities of life. So where is our treasure located? Spending ever-increasing sums of money on products made by oppressed workers and factories that the, destroy the environment from which wealthy corporations reap the benefits, 
doesn't really demonstrate that our heart is in the kingdom of God. People going into debt in order to show how much they love others with material gifts does not demonstrate that our treasure and our heart is in the kingdom of God. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't give gifts or that we should abstain from any and all spending this Christmas season. What I'm advocating is that we as followers of Christ approach our spending with intentional introspection rather than just flipping through the latest catalog or clicking add to cart on anything online that looks exciting to us. We must get into the habit of asking questions about the products that we purchase and the companies from whom we purchase. We have to really consider if the gifts we're buying are things that are really going to benefit the person to whom we intend to give them. By doing these things this holiday shopping season, we can ensure that the way in which we spend our money demonstrates that our treasure is indeed stored up in the kingdom of God. I'm not entirely sure where Western Christianity came up with the idea that embracing the marriage of unbridled capitalism and unbridled individualism make for faithful followers of Christ. According to the Advent Conspiracy, some theologians and pastors try to justify financial excess as a blessing from God. They crave God's stamp of approval on their chosen lifestyles and view their abundance as a reward for personal righteousness. They think, if God doesn't like what he sees, why did he gift me so richly? Now, this is a poor argument from a theological perspective, because whereas scripture does show some instances of God blessing individuals with uncommon wealth, wealth alone is hardly an indicator of God's approval. Being able to do whatever we want and buy whatever we want is hardly consistent with the teachings of Christ. In fact, the great author and theologian C.S. Lewis wrote, If our charities do not pinch and hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. In other words, if we can afford to buy everything we want and do everything we want, we should probably be giving more away. For followers of a man who advocated radical generosity and giving, the infectious greed of Western society, which leads to the pursuit and accumulation of wealth at all costs, is inherently dangerous. What would it look like if all followers of Christ began to act on Lewis's suggestion this holiday season, practicing a generosity that pinches us and prevents us from spending so much on non-essentials so that we can practice the kind of generosity which allows other people to actually have the essentials? I want to leave you with a quote from Ronald Sider's phenomenal book, Rich, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. If you haven't read this book, I would highly recommend it. But here's what Sider says. In a consumer society that increasingly measures a person's worth and importance by the amount of his or her material possessions, biblical Christians will reject materialism without falling into asceticism. They will delight in the splendor of the material world, but not forget that things cannot ultimately satisfy. They will enjoy a good earth and celebrate its abundance without neglecting sacrificial sharing with the needy. They will distinguish between necessities and luxuries. They will enjoy possessions while recognizing their seductive danger. Amen. Let it be so with us. 
God of everything we need, we thank you for being our provider as we move through this Advent season. Help us to be content. Remind us of all the ways you provide for us and our families. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you, the God who provides, and not on our material possessions. Keep us from straying to the idol of more. Help us to spend less. As we plan for Christmas, help us to keep a careful eye on the things we buy, for ourselves and for others. Help us to scale back on material things and to invest in the relationships around us. Help us to be thoughtful in our giving. May the way we spend our resources reflect your goodness. Thank you for modeling what it means to give yourself sacrificially to those around you. Thank you for giving yourself for us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one God, now and forever. Amen.